Hey gang, welcome to the Your Basket is Empty pod, a space where I sit down with agencies, brands, and original e-com thinkers to discuss their journey, practical advice, and how they're navigating the current digital landscape. Your Basket is Empty is also a bi-monthly industry newsletter that covers the most interesting e-com and direct consumer news, interviews with original e-com thinkers, a jobs board, an event listing section, and a playlist. Go check that out at yourbasketisempty.com. On this episode, I'm chatting with Toby Hoppy, co-founder of All Things Butter, a new disruptor dairy brand he started with his mate, Chef Thomas Straker. We discuss why they are disrupting dairy, the power of attention to detail and data, the challenges of D2C unit economics, category expansion, the pros and cons of leveraging a huge audience, and why we might need to wait a while for chicken skin butter. Before we get into it, this episode is brought to you by my good friends at Omnisend. You might have heard things like email marketing is expensive, has low ROI, or it's too complicated. Now, what if I told you these are all myths? In reality, email marketing can be affordable, bring in a great return on investment, and is incredibly straightforward. Or at least, that's all true if you used Omnisend, the email marketing and SMS platform used by more than 100,000 e-commerce brands to attract, convert, and keep new customers. Omnisend is intuitive, packed with pre-built templates and automation workflows, and guess what? It's 40% cheaper than the leading e-commerce marketing platforms. Worried about ROI? In 2022, Omnisense merchants enjoyed a staggering average return on investment of $72 per every dollar spent, which is double the industry average of $36. And if you ever need help, get your questions answered in under three minutes by an award-winning support team that's available 24-7 even during busy days like Black Friday and Christmas. So don't let Miss hold you back. Experience email marketing that really sells with Omnisend. Find out more at getomnisend.com slash your basket is empty and give your e-commerce brand the boost it deserves. Toby, welcome to the pod. How are you and where are you? Hey, Tim. Thanks so much. I am. I've actually just moved house two days ago. So I'm in Teddington in London. Um, and yeah, really looking forward to it. Where's, where's Teddington? It is south of Twickenham. So um, I've got a two and a half year old. And so I've kind of moved further and further outside of London. So I was in Camden and I went to Ealing. Yeah, and now I'm uh, South Twickenham. So uh, Southwest is that Southwest? Kind of like yeah, Southwest-ish. As you can tell, cool. I'm actually from I'm from Manchester. Ah, uh, okay, there you go. I'm moving further away from Manchester. Further and further away from the place of birth. Yeah, nice. exactly, nice. exactly. So, um, as I said just before we jumped on, I have got a wasp in my room. So if it kills me during the recording, <laughs> then this might be a short podcast. We'll see what happens. Um, we're going to be talking about turning uh, viral Instagram posts into a direct consumer brand. So all things butter started as a viral post or it's connected with the chef, Tom Straker, who's made yours. I suppose, how did you meet Tom? And like, when did you guys realize, oh, this could be a thing? How could we turn this into a brand? Yeah, I suppose it, it really starts from about 20 years ago where me and Tom were at school together uh, and just being kind of best friends ever since then. And Tom, I went off in a direction after school of where I really focused on particularly like digital space, digital marketing. And Tom went into the kitchens from the age of 18, where I kind of worked himself through the ranks for about 10 years or so. And then COVID happened and he came into COVID with about 600 followers and came out of COVID with about 100,000 followers, which was kind of an amazing, uh, an amazing turn of events for uh, an industry that hugely struggled. Uh, during that period, as you can imagine. And where for me, it was kind of the opposite way around of the hospitality world, which I'm sure you know as well, Tim, is like, it could not have been a busier period for me from working in e-commerce for when COVID was. And at the time I was consulting and me and Tom have always been kind of talking about how we should be, or he should be creating more 
cooking content. And so during COVID time, certainly I can't take any responsibility for the success of his kind of content, but it was something that I was hugely supportive of and got really excited about what was going on. Even from when he went from 600 followers to 1,000 followers and 2,000 followers, like I really felt that he had something which was this is just on general cooking content that was slightly unique. I feel that there's lots of people on social media who do home cooking from who are just like me or you, Tim, who are just really good in the kitchen. And there was a lack of professional chefs who've kind of worked in Michelin kitchens who were making kind of cooking content that you could aspire to cook for. Obviously, you had the likes of Jamie Oliver and Gordon Ramsay, but bar Jamie Oliver and Gordon Ramsay, there was pretty much no one doing it. And so someone who was kind of charismatic behind the camera, good looking, great at what he did. I felt that there was really something coming there. I mean, if I'm honest, the butter really started from Tom being pretty lazy. (laughs) Me me and him were sat down uh, together and usually a a lot of those videos, they they may be 30 seconds, but they take a good couple of hours of cooking to to do. And then maybe two takes you might have to do. So then it's half a day of just doing one video. And making a, a compound butter is like, really really quick like it depends especially if you're just if you're doing chili or something like that yeah 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 if you're not churning the butter yourself and then you just exactly and we definitely weren't churning the butter (laughs) so uh he made i think it was a garlic butter if i remember rightly and at the time he had about maybe a hundred and fifty thousand followers on tiktok and maybe a hundred thousand followers on instagram and the butter just went so well it maybe got five million views across the both of them um and so he just said to me he was like I'm going to do a butter a day for 30 days and see what happens. Yeah. And he, I think he did maybe 25 butters in 30 days, but he went from like, I think on TikTok, it was something like 150,000 followers to six or 700,000 followers, maybe 800,000 followers in, wow. in a month on uh, Instagram, maybe went up to about four or 500,000 followers. And so we really felt that we had something there or in particular, he had something there. I just put myself in that category now that I've launched the, the brand with him. But it was so organic and there was never a play at the start mm-hmm. of the butter was then going to be this CPG product that we were going to launch. And so that brand really came from the success of the series to then me and him sitting down and being like, we always wanted to do a brand together. I'm an investor in the restaurant. We have Straker's restaurants. We have Flatbread, which is a place in Battersea Power Station. Yep. And so... Um, for him, when the butter kind of went as big as it did and we really looked at the market, we felt that actually this could be something that has real legs. And that's kind of where it started. It's so interesting. So I don't like the term foodie. I'm into food, right? I like it. And I knew you previously through like, yeah, the digital world, right? I didn't realize you were mates with him. So I was one of the, whatever, one of 400,000. I'm not on TikTok, whatever the Instagram followers were. And I got... I don't know, either served or someone sent it to me and followed the series of the butter in real time and have been following Tom since. So it's fascinating to get your perspective because mine is that, yeah, it was a very organic thing and it just felt like, I don't know how strategic it was from you guys, but it was perfect timing. I remember thinking about it, I'm like, oh, that's kind of like a cool idea. Like, I wonder if they're going to do something with it. And then boom, you did. Mm. Fucking great timing. Well, it was one of those things of where for me personally, I was working at Trip at the time, the, the CBD drinks and oils company. And as I said at the start, I've got a two and a half year old. Um, I have a mortgage to pay. I wasn't prepared just to go and leave my job on a whim just based on the series being a success. There was a lot of like additional thought that then went into like, do we think that this is the right category to, to disrupt? Like, how big is the market size? 
And it was me and Tom went into probably 30, 40 supermarkets, just kind of walking the aisles. Like, let's not think about butter. Let's just think about like, we've got this amazing platform to use. What products can we do within this crazy platform that we've created? So we used to walk the aisles and like look down the kind of source section. And then you'll see like the source shop guys who've done an amazing job at disrupting that. Obviously, the early one being the reggae reggae sauce from Mm -hmm. Dragon's Den, which is a big disruptor. Then you're going into like more organic ranges where you see the likes of Oatly's, minor figures, even. Bread has been disrupted. If you look at some of the new bread brands that have come in, especially yep. around the like the sourdough side of things, you see Gales in Waitrose now. It is such an interesting, it's a bit of a weird activity, just kind of going up and down aisles <laughs> of supermarkets and thinking, where can we disrupt brands? And it just so happened, like genuinely, like when we were looking in areas, we felt that the dairy category in general is something that hasn't really been disrupted and it's very traditional in its ways. Mm-hmm. The brands are very heritage-led brands. Mm-hmm. And in particular with dairy-free products coming, I felt there was kind of majority of the brands have kind of just accepted that these plant-based products are going to come and take a load of our category share and not really kind of fight back against it and be like, look, we're really all natural, organic, fantastic produce. Like if you have butter within like a balanced diet, it's really good for you. It has got totally. great properties to it. But we felt that no one was really fighting back against these plant-based products. And so mm-hmm. again, like when we start thinking about that within the strategy and the narrative of like why we're creating this brand, it really felt that it was the perfect place for us to disrupt. And for me, like, and I, I've said this in lots of conversations that I've had with retailers or with investors or just general like friends within the industry. I think that if I wasn't friends with Tom, I would be wanting to launch this brand anyway. Because mm-hmm. it would not have the supercharge of having Tom's audience. But I feel that regardless of that, there is a space for this brand within the industry, uh, within the category. And it would be touch wood a success just over a, a longer period of time rather than having the supercharge of over 4 million followers I think he has across all of his social media. We'll, we'll get into that that because I think that's an I- interesting space to talk about like the pros and cons of having that supercharge because I imagine there are some cons to it potentially. But you touched on a, a point there that I, that I wanted to explore and that was your previous experience with Trip and you worked with Cubits as we were talking about before we jumped online and Harry's. Um, how does that experience help you in this instance? My immediate thought is, oh, you'll know everything. But are you having to like learn everything again? Like, is it different because it's the ground up and it's your own thing? Yeah, I think that it's really interesting. Like a lot of those brands, and I've been really fortunate that I've landed just since I started on client side. So I worked for AO.com, which actually was called Appliance Online back in the day. And then it rebranded to AO.com. And then I went into media agencies for quite a few years. And then uh, the last kind of seven or eight years have just pretty much worked in DTC brands or omni-channel, but DTC first omni-channel brands. And each one is run so differently. And that's what I think is so interesting. It's like there is definitely no secret recipe to success in any of these. And I think that it's team specific, it's category specific. There's so many different parts to the puzzle, which makes every one of the brands unique. However, each one of them, I've certainly taken lots of lessons from. So if I take Harry's, for instance, they really, this was probably five years ago when CAC to LTV ratios weren't like a massive thing like they have been in the last couple of years. And they really nailed down like understanding more about lifetime value modeling, trying to really understand like repeat rates, minimizing churn rates, like 
absolute hyper detailed focus on data and how you use that to ensure that you're making incremental improvements across 10, 15 different touch points, which then actually equate to a larger increase on whatever metric you're trying to improve. And so if I look at Harry's, for instance, that massive attention to detail on on data was something that I certainly will be taking away into all things butter and something that I've taken to every other client that I've worked in or brand that I've worked for. And then you have the likes of Trip, who hopefully most people uh, would have heard of. They're now the fastest growing soft drink in the UK. Their attention to detail on their product and the way that it touches and feels and the way that they market their product, not only to the B2C customer, but also to the B2B customer, the way they present themselves is something which like, in particular on the omni-channel side of things, on like the retail side of things, is something that was a big lesson to me. And so like, again, we'll take that side. Then you have Qubits, which obviously you mentioned, like Tom uh, Broughton, who's been on the podcast, uh, is a good friend of mine, but his attention to detail when it comes to the little tiny things to do with this product and the fact that there is no option for subparness, whatever the word would be, within actually his product is something which mm-hmm. is like the attention to detail, every little part of Qubit's products. When you look at their packaging, the way that their cloth comes with the little the metal Qubit's logo that pops into it, there are certainly like lessons to be learned across the board. And hopefully I can kind of take a recipe of that and put it all together and then try and put a bit of my own twist and own ideas into ideally making the right ingredients to be a success across the board. Yeah, nice. I mean, great takeaways across each of those different examples. I'm, I'm curious then, so like taking those examples, what, what's your general growth plan for All Things Butter like for the rest of the year and into 2024? It's been about six months now of development. In fact, probably between six and nine months of development now. So we are really close to finalizing the formulas of our flavors. So we have all of our packaging, all of our branding all landed. Our website is currently being developed. Um, we're just finalizing those flavor formulas, and then they will go into something called shelf life testing, which is something I never, ex- I didn't know existed uh, until about two months ago, which kind of <laughs> makes sense that it should exist. But I didn't realize that you generally have to wait 10 weeks and then look at the acidity levels of the product to ensure oh, that, like, no how shit. long. And so it's not something that's ever really been in my remit. So uh, yeah, I've never really. really thought about it, but it kind of makes sense. Um, and we'll be looking to launch uh, across D2C and some retail in, in mid to end of October. Uh, prior to that, the, the, the kind of growth play and the, or the marketing play, I'd probably say, is probably more of a brand, brand side of things. Like we feel that with the audience that we have across social, um, and like the mission of the business really is to try and educate people in how to use butter in different ways. How mm-hmm. it's such a versatile product and it isn't used as much as it should be across lots of different things at the moment. And so for us, I think that the marketing play is probably going to be more content based, more educational content, uh, using Tom's platform to educate people of how to use it more, using retailers platforms to how to educate them to use a chili butter with asparagus or whatever it is and so i would think that at least until the end of the year we wouldn't be doing any performance marketing and the dtc website will be purely just driven from tom's audience and from a dtc side of things it's probably more a brand equity play for us of where Mm -hmm. we do some ridiculous merch so like the perfect quenelling spoon (laughs) a beautiful butter knife like some crazy t-shirts, socks, 
Hats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the butter like holder thing, you know, you put like the butter in. Yeah, like a butter dish with like a ridiculous dish. cow yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah. We still will do kind of packages of butter that you can buy on the website. But I think the, one of the issues is that you have with a, a commodity like butter is that from a unit economics point of view, it really doesn't work if you sell a single product on the website. Like, yeah. I know that most people, I would assume, who listen to the podcast are within the world of D2C uh, or have interest in the world of D2C. And so, like, when you're breaking down fulfillment costs, picking and packing costs, car processing fees, and you really look at it from a unit economic yeah. level, like a single pack of £3.30 butter, it just doesn't work um, yeah. <laughs> uh, from it. So, it'll be kind of like a four pack of whether you get a salted, unsalted, and a couple of the flavors would be more the play and then a, a, then a merch play. And then, realistically, it'll be majority um, uh, like e com retail or like in-store retail yeah yeah it, it makes sense as well right as a consumer like i love the brand am i maybe i am incentivized to maybe buy one as a bit of a novelty but ultimately mm-hmm. i like have a whatever online shop where you go to a grocery store and that's where you're going to buy something like that right so the retail play seems like a, a natural fit for actual growth w- what about like content and stuff like that w- will the site be kind of content editorial heavy as well Similar to the, to the mission of the business is that we want to educate people how to use butter and, and what is the difference between great butter and average butter. And so for us, the website will contain lots of recipes, lots of ways of how you can make compound butter, the lots of ways that you can use our pre-made compound butter being like our flavors that we've done mm-hmm. um, and how you can just have it just elevate your everyday dish at home. And so although... Like we see it as a destination of all things butter and the pardon the pun of, of using the brand name. Yeah. Um, and so I would imagine that majority of the traffic that we get, get through to site will be people who have either bought our product or people who are looking for recipe ideas to use yep. uh, butter for. And then if we can upsell them into, uh, into a bit of merch or buy like a big a pack of butter, then, uh, then so be it. Quick sidestep question, but I'm very intrigued. My sense is, and I don't know how strategic this was, similar to the meat alternative guys, this. This yeah. is is an interesting brand play because this can then be applied, I mean, originally with sausages or whatever, but that can be applied to all meat products, right? Or it can be this applied to all meat alternatives or alternatives, you know, the, the sort of like to infinity. Was the all things butter, the branding part of that? Because it can be all things dot, dot, dot. And then you guys can kind of like your category options just open up sort of infinitely. Was that, was that kind of part of the thinking? I'd love to say that this is all part of a master plan. <laughs> uh, and actually someone put on an Instagram on one of our, when we launched it on, on Tom's Instagram was like, I knew this was part of the plan. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I wish, I wish I was that smart. It was, you, uh, are, you are correct guys. Yeah. 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 It's all us. The brand name came from the fact that like we, we thought of some, um, like the initial action, the working title, of the name was actually all things butter, but spelled B U T T A H. Because all the Americans on Tom's uh, social media all say he says it like butter. And that's how it <laughs> sounds. And then I showed it to my wife. And my wife was like, this looks like a plant-based butter brand. And I was like, okay, that kind of like makes sense. And then I sent and showed it to a few other people. And they kind of said uh, something similar. It's like, are you spelling it the different way? Because it's actually not real butter. And so we then went to, uh, we couldn't think of any better names than the brand name that Tom had for the series. And we just felt that it worked really well. And then yeah. the, 
we needed to ensure that there was like a category expansion opportunity. And it just so happened that with the, the series name, all things, like you say, is yeah. that it works really well for category expansion. Um, from So our trademark, for instance, is all things is our trademark. Uh, yeah. And then, because it's difficult also to trademark like a, a, a commodity word like butter yeah. uh, in, in a brand name. So we would look at, we, we probably want to stay within the dairy space, if I'm deadly honest. Um, yep. And we think there's massive opportunity within, say, the likes of cheese, yeah, even, totally. mi- even milk, uh, yep. yogurts. And so we want to try and live within like the cow being like a big part of the branding. And at the end of the day, like we see, we want this to be a standalone brand. Obviously, Tom's leverage leveraging tom's audience is amazing for the short term but realistically we want this to be a brand that lots of different chefs use um and so it's not a all things butter by thomas straker it's just all things butter which loads of chefs including thomas straker use as their everyday product and that gets back then to the we touched on it at the start of the conversation there i'm curious then so from your perspective thus far like what are the advantages of starting a brand and part of that has got this pre-built audience Mm. and have there been any disadvantages or do you see potential disadvantages on the horizon or is it mainly all upside? There's definitely pros and cons to it. Um, I think if you start with pros and the obvious one being is that you have a ready-made audience of about 4 million people. And I think what's slightly different and, and, kind of touched on it from the start is like it's being a professional chef and there's not many people who have or i mean i hate the terminology influencer but like tom is an influencer within the social mm-hmm. space and a lot of the influencer based brands that have launched and have been incredibly successful there isn't actually a genuine association with the product that they're launching and so if you take like the most i mean there obviously are some but if you take like the two most famous ones being Prime and Feastables, which yep. is Mr. Beast's chocolate bar, which yep. I think is actually just launching in the UK soon, but in the States, it's absolutely humongous. Their actual like, association of like, authenticity to their brands is very weak, apart from just the fact that their, brand, their personal brands are very, very strong. You could say that Logan Paul is now a WWE wrestler, and therefore he needs some hydration, or KSI is a... It's kind of a kind of boxer who needs this hydration. But again, it's like, it's not hugely authentic. And so no. what we found that the, the, the migration from Tom's brand, coupled with the authenticity of the product with him as a person, has been yeah. really, really strong. And, it, and you can take examples of it with D2C brands who have had influencers promoting it, which some have been very, very strong and some haven't been strong. And so I can just take... I can't name the examples, but there have been certain partnerships that we've done with Tom that have been really, really poor from an authenticity point of view. And you can just see that from the engagement rates of it, from the view rates of it, from the fact that people call out that this is just genuinely a load of rubbish. So then <laughs> ones which are just like super authentic. So like I, yeah. I'll, I can name the a super authentic one would be like mold and salt. The yep. mold and salt, Tom uses mold and salt. So having yeah, a yeah, yeah. brand association yeah. with mold and salt, it got 5 million views or three. It was, it was, it was, as, it was as well performing as any of his other normal videos have been. Yeah. And so we found that the fact that the, the, the product is so authentic to Tom as a person. I mean, I, 
as ridiculous as it sounds, Tom is the biggest butter influencer in the world. I mean, I don't think there are many butter influencers in the world, um, but he is the biggest one. And so uh, having that authenticity has been incredibly good for us when it's coming from migration to to like our social platform of all things butter. I think it's got about 30... 3,000 followers and we've done about four posts and yep. we haven't we haven't done any videos yet uh, to to really drive that and so we're already the biggest followed dairy brand in the uk by a mile like yeah Anchor, interesting i think lurpak for instance has got 12 to 13 thousand followers and they're pretty active yeah um, and so for us like we've we, we will be a uh, hundred thousand followers probably by the end of the year when we start ch- like churning out uh, proper content and so that is like the biggest obvious pro to it but then the negatives are is that when you are an influencer, regardless of whether you are an expert within your field, you are hugely scrutinized from whether mm. it's you as a person. And we've had things in the past of where we'd be in the, in the press, for instance, for negative things. But then we have really positive things in the press. And you also then are hugely scrutinized for your product. So if your product is not absolutely bang on, they will find the tiniest little issues with it because you've immediately put yourselves under a magnifying glass. And so you immediately put yourselves into an environment of where you need to be on your toes from the start because you could, it's great to have all of this initial publicity. However, if your product's rubbish then uh, and you're, you're basically just masking some beautiful branding, in my, in my opinion, beautiful branding, uh, with a crap product underneath, then you're going to get called out absolutely immediately. And so there are certainly pros. And fortunately, like, I think that as a team-wise, like we have a CFO on board uh, who's someone I've worked with before who's absolutely amazing. And uh, we've got a couple of other people, again, who have worked with in the past uh, within the team who, uh, who have been really strong. Like, I've, it's been really important from the start that we've put together a product and a team and an initial like kind of founding team who are best in class and don't leave any stones unturned because if we have left a stone unturned, it's going to get called out pretty quickly. Yeah. That's so interesting. The, uh, the example of the, the Logan Paul guys, I, I, I mean, I, I struggle to see anything authentic about them in the sense that they're authentic to making money, which I think in some ways is authentic, right? They're not, they're not like ashamed to say like, you know, their whole thing is just to fucking slap their name on stuff and make zillions of dollars, which uh, yeah. are people dying because of their drink though? Is that a thing? <laughs> pretty sure I mean, there's yeah. like problems with that drink. It's interesting with that though, with, with those is that they have there, there is lots of content calling out how crap their product is, and like the fact that it, they say they keep on doing these like you know the classic when Lidl started doing the comparison uh, ads against like Tesco have been like yeah yeah, yeah yeah this is X Y Z and this yeah. X Y Z yeah. they've started doing that with the likes of like Gatorade and and other yeah, right. hydration products, but the problem is is that they're really a diet based drink. Uh, so as in like they have no, that they don't use, um, that they use very s- small amounts of sugar and they, and then they'll, they'll use sweetener to, to kind of counteract the sugar. Like you would do with yeah. like a diet Coke or you do yeah. with a Gatorade zero, but they do all of their comparison ads with like the full fat versions. <laughs> and so I'm just like, I don't really get it. Like, yeah. But if you did this comparison ad of being like, this has 18 grams of sugar and this has two grams of sugar. I'm like, well, why don't you do it with the actual like, like for like example, which would be like Gatorade, yeah. Gatorade zero yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, versus it. And so, but they get called out a lot, but they just kind of, they seem to just, they, 
I think they have like a very much a, a view of all publicity is good publicity, yeah. which to, which for me personally, I understand the merit of it. But for me, I think if you want to create a long term brand based on like a great product and and have a a great team, I I don't hugely subscribe to that saying. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I was chatting with somebody about it the other day. It's like hard to think about any brands that have longevity without a great product underneath it, right? Like uh, they, they might be a good example of it, but I'm not sure if people are going to be talking about them in, in 20 years time. Um, no. <laughs> hopefully not. Hopefully uh, right. Yeah. I want to I round it out and I want to talk about the product, given that's where this conversation is at. Mm-hmm. So the final question is, what's your favorite all things butter, butter? Either episode or just the flavor itself. Ooh, that's a difficult one. I mean, there's a, we have a bit of a problem at the moment is that if you include animal products into butter, is that it massively reduces the shelf life. And so mm. my favorite butter, butter by a mile, is the chicken skin butter. I, mean, <laughs> I was going to say, that, that was the one that, yeah, that would have been my favorite as well. It yeah. is unbelievable. Uh, but we are currently working with our product, like had a product um, on how we can create a product that goes, like that Tom signs off, which is very, very difficult to do because um, yep. he is okay. very, very fussy. <laughs> okay. As you can imagine, being a chef, like it has to be really like... And, I would say is like one of the one of the hiccups that we've had down the road is like is in new product development of trying to get a crop like a chef to sign off products has been very difficult. And so the chicken skin butter is definitely my favorite. I am praying that we have it um, within the next twelve months. That is the the aim. Uh, just at the moment, it is quite difficult from a supply chain perspective to get animal products in our butter and have it with a long enough shelf life that retailers would be happy. Okay. Well, I, for one, hope you guys crack the code. (laughs) I think that's a good way to end the podcast. Toby, thank you so much for joining me. Cheers, Tim. Thanks, mate. There you go, folks. Thanks for joining us. If you like what you've heard, please like, download, subscribe, and tell all your mates to do the same. Before we go, a quick word from our friends at OmniSend, the ROI-focused email and SMS marketing platform for online merchants. Go check them out at getomnisend.com slash your basket is empty. We'll see you next time. Yeah,